The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to a, I suppose, a very special bonus, like the blue episode of NXT The Rise and Fall with me. My name is Sai, and as always, our good friend, the king himself, Joshua Goodwin. It's been a little while, Ben. It's been a little while. Uh, it's been at least forever, hasn't it? It has. The, the thing is, for the few people who are going to hear this, you know, they'll find this podcast like... 20 years down the line in a vault it will have been completely uninterrupted but the entire world That's has changed point. <laughs> indeed indeed um i suppose i mean the, the basic format of what we're doing today is just touching base and uh, we've got a few questions out there from the, the twitterverse you know just general wrestling stuff which is brilliant thank you to everyone who's tweeted the show but it's more sort of a i suppose a little bit of an update i suppose first of all to let everyone know what's happening with regards to your good self, uh, you know, if the podcast is going to be returning anytime in the future, or if there is plans, or if it's still on sabbatical for now, and and just basically a check in to see how everyone is, really. Hmm. I mean, so kick it off with where I've been. I've been very poorly, very poorly. You have indeed. Yes. Um, so around November, um, I picked up some sort of nothing little cold upper respiratory nothing um, but following on from that I had well the thing is the doctors aren't entirely sure what it is you know they they don't know if it was long covid or they don't know if they th- think there may have been some sort of glandular fever at some point point is okay. I was I was laid up in bed literally laid up in bed i was mm. sleeping upwards of 20 hours a day um you know i really really wasn't well 
obviously this somewhat affected my headspace as well. So I got pretty depressed, pretty well gave up on everything. Um, But, you know, things started improving. I'd say about mm, 12 weeks ago, I'd say things started improving, started seeing some, some positive uh, momentum coming back to me. Sorry sorry to interrupt. I mean, with regards to that, you you and I messaged quite regularly during this period. Um, Mm. Sort of disjointed because of how much you were sleeping and and then I'd be working some mornings and so on. So I might get a reply at 4am and um, I would then respond at 8am and then you would respond at 8pm and it would just call it, you know, but we were in touch. And the biggest thing that struck me not only was how wiped out you were and how exhausted you were and how you literally were telling me you couldn't do anything. You couldn't get up. It just like literally just destroyed you. Mm-hmm. It was the way that the doctors basically just all kind of went, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I, I no knock on them because it was just sort of a, you know, we don't know. Everyone's just chalking up to COVID or whatever. Yeah. Like, there, there was a period of time when, you know, it was the chronic fatigue thing or maybe ME, um, which wasn't a very fun thing to think about because no. obviously there's no real roadmap on when or how that gets better. Um, really, I think what what really turned the corner for me was I had a chat with the doctor and it's like, yeah, but are you trying? And I guess I wasn't really like applying myself to getting better i didn't think i was going to get better and therefore you know i wasn't getting better i wasn't really taking care of myself as much as i could which you know wasn't wasn't masses but at the same time when you think you know there's there's no way out like you kind of lose Mm. hope and so you said about your headspace didn't you and and, and how it affects you mentally and again i hope i'm not divulging anything that you don't wish me to but i know one conversation we had the doctors, um, from what I can remember, you you told me, the doctors told you you've just got to kind of ride it out, and they couldn't give you an end game. Now, for me personally, if I've ever been nowhere near as poorly as you were, of course, but if I've ever had anything wrong with me, and I get told, yeah, you just got to ride it out, that knocks you for six because you don't know, you don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I suppose, do you? Well, that was a lot of what it was. There, okay. there, there didn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel, but at the same time. I was maybe not, I wasn't assisting in trying to find that light. I'd put my torch out and I'd sort of curled up into a ball and went, well, this is it now. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, you know, pretend like I was in, I was in a very bad headspace. You know, it was very much a situation where it's like, this doesn't seem as if it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, if it doesn't, you know, we might try and do something stupid. It never got to that part, but it was certainly something that crosses one's mind. um which of course isn't very fun um i think if i didn't have my family around me like my girlfriend natalie her folks um because she had to do literally everything for me like i was incapable i there were days i could not get out of bed um and so you know, I think had I been entirely on my Todd, things would have been <laughs> a lot worse. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I've got to try and be grateful for the positives. But at the same time, there weren't very many positives when things were at their worst. Yeah. Um, you know, you you go from, uh, you know, pro wrestling. So I'm reasonably active, working full time, um, 
you know, got a hundred million different things on the go. Obviously, doing the podcast that mm-hmm. was fairly time consuming and uh, would you know would take up a lot of headspace. Um, and so, yeah, I think like I look back on it and it's like, yeah, you were probably doing too much as well. So, yeah. like another theory on myself is that you know burnt myself out to the nth degree and my body's like hey you need to calm down oh and i'm type 1 diabetic which you know of course yeah you got to take yep. care of that stuff which um can get away from you um and so yeah you're trying to spin all these different plates trying to do everything to the absolute best of your ability and then you know i think there's some there's a part of me that thinks my body was like yo you need to like slow down a bit Mm-hmm. And obviously I ignored that. And then my body's like, yo, you really need to slow down a bit. And I ignored that too. And then it was like, okay, fuck you. We're going <laughs> to stop you now. We're going to making If we're making that decision for you, effectively. Yeah, we're pulling the handbrake <laughs> on this motherfucker and you're going to sit and you're going to think about what you've done. Well, that was a question I was going to ask actually was about, you mentioned, you mentioned your girlfriend and, and having a family around you and so on just then. It, that was something I was going to ask about because obviously I, I was aware that you, you had to effect you know you're wiped out couldn't get out of bed couldn't move etc so naturally working was out of the question so you were signed off now again mm-hmm. so i think some people who have not been in that scenario might, might not realize sometimes as much as you may enjoy your job or dislike your job because it can go either way mm-hmm. there's a social aspect as well absolutely there's, there's the leaving the ha- i mean even down to little things like having a routine there's the leaving the house at a certain time knowing you get back at a certain time and I'm, I'm not saying that you know work should dominate your life or anything like that but you do have to kind of schedule out of work around working hours because everyone has to wear independence of course mm-hmm. so i think sometimes when you're incapable of working which obviously you were at this point i mean you, you couldn't yeah. lift a cup of tea never mind go to work and lift stuff around at work yeah no <laughs> um, you also then have the the addition of losing the social aspect and that routine and getting out of the house and so on. But then what I was going to bring up was how did it affect your home life, your family life? Because obviously I, I know Natalie semi-well. We, we, we knew each other decades ago and have you know been back in contact now that it's weird in a way. It's such a small world, isn't it? That a, a girl I went to college with, what was it? Would it be now pushing 30 years ago? is now going out with someone I consider a very good friend of mine. So it's, it's funny how the world kind of all, you know, entwines itself back in. But also I know that, it, that there's, there's children involved. There's effectively a small zoo in your house. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty decent menagerie. I... Yes. So, I mean, it's, that, that was what we're next week. I, I know you say Natalie was fantastic and, and, and did all she could to help and, and basically got on everything. But, I mean, that's what people do when you're in relationships, of course. But at the same time, emotionally for you then, knowing that she was doing this end of things and trying to do her best to cater for you and look after you, but you were unable to get up and do anything, did this also add to any issues mentally? Or were you already hitting the bottom uh, and that was kind of it uh, and you couldn't go much lower, so to speak? (laughs) It definitely doesn't help to feel like you're just a millstone around someone's neck. I mean, it's not just that, but obviously I still have, because I don't like live with my girlfriend. So no, of course. it also meant just a world's worth of driving for her because she was coming back and forth. And obviously I'm paying the rent on my house. 
uh, and you know it's a second set of bills and mm-hmm. i have no money coming in oh and we've just entered a cost of living crisis around this time so suddenly yeah. everything's double so we have less money to make go even further which it just it, it was it couldn't have come at a better time could it so, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you mentioned okay. there the cost some of some as straightforward as uh, you obviously you and Natalie have been together a little, you know a, a little while now but you're living mm-hmm. in in two separate addresses Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be occasions where she might stop with you kids allowing, there may be occasions where you might stop with her, whatever. But mm-hmm. in this scenario where you're, where you're separate because of you being ill and, and so on, the driving back and forth, literally just that alone. Because mm-hmm. I know that I'm, obviously I'm not going to give out your addresses on a podcast, of course not. But <laughs> I, I know the distance between where you both live. That's it's not a short fair. distance. No, so it's, it's not it's... only the time added on to go and see you and then get home again. It's also the simple thing of adding the cost of the fuel because that's, that's crazy thing, expensive. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and it's, it's just never ending, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, it all mounts up. And I mean, I'm still not back at work full time yet. I'm mm-hmm. just barely drip feeding my way back into work. Like I uh, did a three hour day yesterday and that was an achievement. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah the travel um say petrol it all just it's just so much stuff just stacking on as you said the social aspect gone um even like like obviously wrestling as well was kind of gone because wrestling moves on without you like you there's a few people who check in and like you know how's it going but obviously that was a big element of you know my social life and you have that little world and that little cult and that they're over there and then as you say you've got work and you find that when you are taken out of that there are very few people who remember you exist and that's okay. not in a hor- that's not in a horrible way like you know it kind of sounds like you know as I say it sounds kind of derogatory but it's more sort of you know everyone's got their own stuff yeah yeah no know? i understand yeah so so pe- so you have a situation where it's like oh so where, where's Where's Josh? I mean, they wouldn't call me Josh, but you know, where's, where's, where's Josh and people, you know, like, Oh, you know, most people didn't know. Cause most of my work didn't know. It wasn't as if, you know, they're just, I'm off sick. Yes. Um, and it wasn't as if I wasn't sharing, but like no one was asking. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, as you said, it's just so much just, that you take for granted, I guess, just goes away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't even discussed the whole, you know, the amount of gr- health you take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just how much you take, like being able to get out of bed, how much you can take that for granted, how like just having the ability to like think coherently because that was another element of just being so tired was like, there was just a massive brain fog. I mean, you're talking about like messages back and forth. Uh, like I could send a, you know, 14 word message. It might take me half an hour. Cause I've got to like put it together in my head and then mm-hmm. get it down. Um, and was that medication contributing to that as well? I'm, I'm not saying, you know, anything illegal or anything like that. I, I mean, obviously where people, where the doctor's giving you and you don't have to name anything, of course, but where the doctor's mm-hmm. giving you things that they thought were going to try and help, and everything that you have with that, there's side effects too, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. Nope. There was nothing because they didn't know what it was and they didn't know okay. what could help. Right. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, there, there was plenty. And of obviously, 
say everything kind of went out the window. So even taking care of my diabetes became a struggle. And obviously, you know, if you're chemically imbalanced in any way, it's going to affect the ability to think. And so if you've got too much sugar in your blood, that's not going to be the best mm-hmm. thing for you. And obviously going on further from that, as I say, everything's kind of went out the window. So I wasn't really taking care of myself. My diet was whatever fit in my face. Um, I was drinking like definitely more than I would. I think more than anything, like it just feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. And so like, you don't, you look back and you go, well, that didn't really help you. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's what got you from one day to the next. So I can fully sympathize with that. When when you, when you say about the the drinking side of things, it's been a long known, um, I I suppose topic or or well-known fact, I guess that, my first go-to if anything goes wrong is to just get smashed mm-hmm. and i you know, nowadays not so much I, I, i'm married i've got kids and so on but when me and my wife first got together i saw some 15 years ago now we had an argument the one day i left the house my dad turned up to drop something off and said where is he and sharon my wife said to my dad oh he just had a barney so he just just walked out all oh, right he'll be in that pub over there then because they just knew that was how things worked. So I, I know what you mean. And I knew at the time it was, wasn't helping. But like you said, the, 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 the aspect of sometimes people outside looking in with regards to just, just having a drink in those scenarios, it's like you said, it gets you from one day to the next. And yeah, it's not ideal. But no. sometimes you need the not ideal to get through certain aspects to then start turning the corner, I think. And yeah. Some people don't twig onto that. Yeah, I think you can there can definitely be a lack of empathy when you look at things from the outside in because Mm -hmm. everyone's got things that they find difficult that others don't and quite often if you're an individual who doesn't find something difficult um and then you see it happening from somewhere else it can be so like the the solution is simple just do this but it's that word just like implied well i it's easy and it's like, well, no, it's not. It's easy for you. It's not easy mm-hmm. for me. I mean, there's so many situations like, I don't know, uh, there's, uh, as an example, like you see people in a relationship and you're like, that relationship is bad for them. They need to like not be in that relationship. For example, there's, you can probably think in your mind's eye of a few of them, but yeah, yeah. not being in that, that person's shoes or that, that, those people's shoes, like there's so many other things that factor into it. Mm-hmm. And so it's trying to have that level of understanding of going, well, it's not always as simple as just what you see from the outside or maybe it is, but there's other things coming into it. So it's the iceberg factor, isn't it? From outside looking in, you only see the tip. You never see what's going on below the surface. It's that kind Mm -hmm. of scenario, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, it's kind of the idea that outside of your circle of like friends and the people, you know, like everyone else is just an NPC. You know, they're just people who are just, they're just there to fill the scenery. Mm. Um, and so from the outside looking in, you can be like, oh, and, and that person who walks their dog every day at seven, ain't they weird? And it's like, well, no, you know, literally nothing about them other than you see them every day <laughs> and that yeah. they walk and that maybe they walk kind of funny or something, something that in your head has made you go, Ugh. but you scratch the surface and everyone's like a human. Everyone's got stuff going on. Yeah, but of course. Yeah. Obviously the human mind cannot contain like the stuff going on in everyone else's world, even if they would tell you, which they wouldn't because mm-hmm. who the hell are you? Well, there you go. Uh, so on a more positive, uh, light then you say you are starting to step back into work. 
you know, slowly, slowly catchy monkey, I suppose there's the saying, like, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. a few hours here, a few hours there, which is fantastic news. Cause n- knowing from the messages that we exchanged about how bad it, it got for you with the lack of energy, being unable to move and able to get out of bed and so on, knowing that you are back at work is to me a huge step. You say, Oh, I did three hours. Say that was enough. That to me, that's knowing where you were. That's huge. Oh yeah. So, no, I'm not and in no way. Am I diminishing that as an achievement? It yeah. is Good. an achievement listeners. It's a big achievement. <laughs> Um, we're having a conversation today and this is the first time you and I have sat down and actually uh, I suppose properly heard each other's voices in in in, despite the fact being in contact this is the first time we've spoken properly so that's that's something that's not happened for quite a while as well so let's let's sort of I suppose uh, summarize this 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 opening sort of conversation about about the issues that, that have gone on you are turning the corner yeah yeah definitely things are improving I'm infinitely more active than i was and seem to be building back um something that the doctor said about like the roadmap to recovery is that um if things feel like you know you're improving over this over the course of weeks it probably means you've got weeks left if it's improving over the course of days you've probably got days left months months left okay um, and so you know week by week i'd say things are getting better so hopefully you know within the next few you know, I I don't want to set out any kind no, of, of course, of I course, have no idea, and and you still face setbacks. Like you know, obviously, there's still sometimes when some something will wipe me out. Like like as as daft as it sounds, like there are still times I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still recovering because I'm I am very much my own worst critic, and I'm very hard on myself. Um, and it's kind of trying to appreciate that I've been led in bed for the same amount of time as someone who'd like been recovering from a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> And the, and I think the thing as well is because there's no like physical like injuries there that it can be difficult for people to understand. Like there are some folk who are like, so you were tired. It's like, yeah, I didn't quite cover it. Yeah. That's not cool. Was, yeah. Yeah. But I was tired. Um, but yeah, things are definitely moving in the right direction. I am getting better. I am doing more hours at work. I am trying to be more active whilst being aware of the fact that I need to pace myself. Yeah, it's got to be um, a slow process, I imagine, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes. As you said, slowly, slowly, catch your monkey. Mm-hmm. Now, after that yeah. monkey, I'm going to get him. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That's good to hear. And, and it's fantastic to be able to, to speak with you again, my friend. I, I, I've missed having our chats. So It's it's fun, isn't it? It it's is. fun. It is. Um, shall we have some fun then? Because like I said, some people out there in the Twitterverse have uh, sent us some questions uh, for your good self. Some are wrestling orientated and you can sort of sink your teeth into them. Some of them I think have been sent just to make people laugh. So I'll, I'll just go, as, as I say to Magsy on chain wrestling that he hates, but you haven't got him in front of you, so you don't need to worry. I'll go through them in the order they arrived into us. Uh, and then Magsy has to sort of scrape and panic and try and find them to put them on the screen, which is always yeah. a good good laugh for me. But um, <laughs> we begin with our good friend Rob, at UTT Rob on Twitter, from the awesome UTT podcast and various spin-offs from there. Could Joshua train Sai to the standard to have a decent match? And before you answer, my wife responded, I'll answer for him, no. To which Rob put a, load of, put a load of laughing faces. So there we go. There's your first question. Something tongue-in-cheek, I guess. Could Joshua train Sai to the standard to have a decent match? Not just a match, a decent match. I guess it would depend, and this has always been a favourite, Mike. Depends on what your metric would be for decent. Um, okay. You know, could 
because I think anyone can have a good wrestling match. Like, but it very much depends on like again what your metric is, what it is that you're looking for. If you're looking for, you know, Cirque du Soleil and gymnastics, probably not so much. But that's not really my forte anyway. I'm always mm -hmm. like you know more of a Shakespeare, more of a storytelling kind of guy. Because I mean, yeah, I mean any anyone can have a decent wrestling match like anyone it's whether or not you can then keep it going like i could probably train you to have a decent wrestling match could i train you to have like a decent career well i wouldn't be the person to do it anyway i'm not i'm in no way like the infinite fountain of knowledge um and it's that longevity is the real challenge like anyone yes. can you know, catch lightning in a bottle, as it were. And I mean, I've had a lot of people's first matches and I've normally been the one to put it almost entirely together and they've been good. However, at the same time, those first matches tend to be in front of everyone's friends and family, so they'd probably be happy to see anything. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I reckon I could train you to have a, have a match, Si. I reckon, it's, <laughs> I reckon it's possible. I just don't think the old knees and back would hack it, mate. And you mentioned there about, and this isn't from, from Twitter, this just popped in my head now. You mentioned there about how, you know, uh, it would depend on people's metric of what's decent. And obviously you look at, say, my daughter, for example, she loves the Bucks. She loves Kenny Omega. She loves the Elite and all the flying around AEW does and so on. I can admire how athletic it is and how much of a spectacle it is. It's not necessarily my cup of tea when I choose the type of wrestling I want to watch. So everyone has different tastes. But... With regards to you saying about story over the the, the sort of flashiness or, or the acrobatics and so on, the last two big wrestling events I've seen were AEW this weekend. Um, as we're recording, it's the the thirty first of May, so it's the Wednesday. So we saw the AEW um, Double or Nothing pay per view, and WWE ran Night of Champions. Mm -hmm. And something that was in my head that I've sort of spoke to various people about online and so on is the the difference between wrestling and entertainment, maybe in mm. that both shows for both, you know, two very different companies, but both shows had very big world title matches on them. Yeah. But both shows didn't go off air. Both shows didn't, didn't close with the world title match. Both shows closed with a match that was more based around a story. So you had the elite versus the Blackpool combat club in this wild, crazy brawl thing based very much about the story, as opposed to there was no titles on the line and so on. And the world title match, which was heavily hyped, hugely hyped beforehand was a couple of matches previous night of champions. You also have the bloodline story, which is you know fantastic television and it's dominating everything WWE does at the moment. It seems, or at least what WWE is doing well, that closed the show. Mm -hmm. Whereas the world title match, to declare the first ever, you know, or, or the, the new world heavyweight champion in WWE was forever on down the card. Where do mm -hmm. you stand on that? Cause I know some people will argue that the world title will or should always go on last because even though so, some people say it's a prop, other people say that yes, it's a prop, but every wrestler should be battling towards the world title to make it important and so on. Where do you stand on that? If you've got a great story and a world title match, where do you go? What's selling the tickets, I guess would be, yeah, my take on it um i'd go to for example i immediately think of wrestlemania 18 yes when you had triple h and jericho go on last for the title 
But the main event was Hogan and Rock because that was yes. what people cared about and that was what people paid to see. Um, yeah, it's supposed to selling the tickets. And I think the story is always going to be the thing that sells the tickets. Mm-hmm. I think Roman Reigns, for example, for the last couple of years has done an incredible job of just telling a story. Like, when was the last time you saw him do anything remotely, like, insane? I remember, oh, Clash at the Castle. I say Clash at the Castle, but frankly, most Roman Reigns matches now start off with at least five minutes of nothing. Mm, Yes. Like, they literally stand there and they will not touch for about five minutes. It's all, my problem with Reigns has almost gotten a bit too formulaic. Um, Okay. But the fact is, the emotion's there. And it's, it's the the match that is happening is not in a bubble because the whole Roman Reigns storyline has been since he took the title. And so you get more and more equity every single time he defends that title. Mm-hmm. Not unlike the Undertaker streak because the Undertaker streak, some of those matches were fucking terrible, but yes. it didn't matter because it had the story behind it of like, is this, will this be the time he loses? Will this be the time he loses his streak? And it's very much the same with Reigns now, where it's like, will this be the time? Will and there have been times when like I've thought maybe they should pull the trigger, but at the same time, being able to look at it with hindsight, which we can't yet, once they do finally like topple Roman, my Christ, that's gonna be a powerful emotional moment. And that's the thing that a lot of people seem to forget about wrestling, is it's about making you feel because you can do all the moves under the sun, but that that emotion that you'll feel there is very fleeting. It's mm-hmm. uh, again, I think I've mentioned it before. Al Snow said it. It's like watching a fireworks display. Like you get all the flippy dippy moves and all that stuff. Fact is, how many times a year do you need to see fireworks? Yeah, very true. But also, how many times will you watch a movie or a great story? Um, if I look at something entirely different but recently i watched um episode of walking dead you know the one with negan and the bat and the bonky bonky bonky. i've never seen walking dead but i'm aware of what it is yeah okay so there's the scene where negan like batters people with the bat and does lots of scary scary when you actually break it down um there's very little action there's not actually a lot that happens there but they get a lot out of not very much action. And therefore, if you can apply that logic to pro wrestling, mm-hmm. you can get a lot more mileage out of a lot less, which as a wrestler, I always think is a good idea because you hopefully get more money in your pocket for taking less bumps, which in my opinion, never a bad thing. Well, this is it. And obviously then taking less bumps in theory means you're getting more money in your pocket for longer. You're not shortening your career by, well, that that's the thing. I mean, there's no, there's no way. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how best to describe. But there's no way that people who wrestle in that more, like, again, flippy style, which yeah. and it's not because the stuff that they do is incredible. There's no way that Will Ospreay is going to be wrestling into his fifties. Will yeah. is about wrapping it up now. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's a good example of someone who's learned that, like. He can get out, he can get more out of this by doing less. Hmm. He yeah. seems again, he's bulked up considerably. He can't do some of the stuff that he used to. Um, so he's changed his style somewhat and he's probably getting better paydays for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Interesting. Uh, we have our good friend Danny from Nitro Nights podcast at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter. He asks, uh, and this is an interesting one for me because it's effectively giving you a mouthpiece, and I've never thought you needed it. But there we go. If you could be managed by Bobby Heenan, Ted DiBiase, or Paul Heyman, who would you choose? Hmm. Um, you mentioned not needing a mouthpiece. I mean, CM Punk didn't need a mouthpiece. Sometimes it just adds something to the package, right? That's um, very true. Yep. In, in the same way as Roman Reigns could probably get by on his own, but the fact that yeah. he's got bloodline around him just make, makes it bigger and better. Um, so Heenan, Heyman, or DiBiase. I'd say Heyman, but mostly because then I could just sit under the learning tree because that man has such a big brain for this wrestling gig. Yeah. And no disrespect to the others, but like DiBiase understands it from the performance aspect. Um, Heyman, I'd say probably the same. Like Heyman's got it top to bottom. He's got like everything other than actually taking bumps. He knows yep. the inside and out. You can listen to interviews that he did from, I don't know, uh, I think it's an interview I remember seeing, it was in 97 and he was talking about why WCW was going to fail and he was yep. almost in the spot on the money. Yeah. You know, things like that. Um, obviously, you can read into it and be like, oh, he meant this and therefore, so with hindsight, you can draw more from it. But the man just knows wrestling inside and out. Mm. So, you know, and again, he's probably had a decent hand in the whole Roman Reigns thing and then the whole Brock Lesnar thing and all of that. And he's got his, you know, his big tentacles into it and therefore it's better. Yeah. He's it, it, another one I think you mentioned about not doing anything spectacular or over the top. You look at what he does and certain catchphrases he has. Uh, not even catchphrases, but he, when he introduces people, he literally just says, hello, my name is. Mm-hmm. And people pop for it. It's the most simplistic thing ever, but people, because it's done over and over again, and it's it's always around something that means so much, whether it was Lesnar or Reigns or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's It's got this equity, I suppose, as you said. It's built up this kind of aura to what he does. He, he manages champions. He manages top guys, doesn't he? So, Absolutely. I mean, and equity is the right word. Because it's because of that continued like success, that continued whatever you want to call it. If, if not, the people trust him, mm, which yeah. sounds weird for someone so slimy. But the people trust <laughs> him. They, they they believe in what he says, and they believe in like you know the things that he endorses. Um, in terms of like talking as well, like he is so good because he's been able to again reinvent himself like he's gone from being the psycho yuppie and doing like the 80s 90s promos to basically sounding like he's a lawyer doing closing arguments Mm. which incidentally is just a brilliant idea when you think about it because their whole shtick is to like convince people of stuff and so if you're like i want you to make me you know make people buy this this pay-per-view or whatever that is they're calling it now he seems like the good person to uh do that job yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. Uh, we have Cam here at Cam Griff 92. He's got a few questions. I'll, again, I'll just run through them as they came into us. Uh, first of all, how did you first get into wrestling? Smackdown 2. Okay. Just that simple. Like the very first thing that I saw was uh, a friend of mine playing Smackdown 2. No, you're all. Um, Is that a PlayStation game? 
Yeah, places. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, an Undertaker wearing the double denim. Right. Those are, those are my two abiding memories. That and he'd made this creator wrestler, which retrospectively, like, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But to me, at like, I don't know, seven, I think, it was like mind-blowingly awesome. And he did like this capoeira spin kick. And I was like, it's amazing. (laughs) And I want to wear a mask and I want to have horns that are like nine foot high. And now thinking about would be entirely impractical, but it's just this, Oh my God, it's amazing. Um, So yeah, that was the very first thing. Um, Other than that, uh, the first wrestling match I saw, I think I've mentioned before was at my grand's house. It was an episode of heat. uh, And it was big show wrestling Taz and Taz was up on Big Show's right. back. I presume he had him in a Taz mission. And the finish was Big Show just kicked his legs up and splatted Taz. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. From I know I know when you first stepped into uh, the performing aspect yourself, you were going in on the managerial side as opposed to a, an actual wrestler, weren't you? Uh, the, the very, very first thing I did when I was like, 18 i did a, a bit of wrestling but i was still essentially a child so that doesn't doesn't necessarily count in my mind um but yeah started off managing i mean started off emceeing actually um then transitioned into managing which was fun and something i enjoyed although again a time period when i was still very hard on myself so like you, you can't really enjoy it because you're still you're going and going and going and it's like oh that could be better it could be better it could be better and it's like yeah, no one really cares that much other than you okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um and so yeah there was that i managed the um heritage city hitman for a bit uh that was fun um and as i think as i recall someone was missing either dave or rick from a show and it's like well you go do a wrestle then it's like okay um <laughs> yeah and then i think it was as i remember rightly it was yeston reese who was like who was someone who trained me he was like nah you're too good to just manage you like you should be wrestling it's like, okay i guess i'll do some wrestling brilliant <laughs> um the, the question we got here i'm going to break up a little bit myself so bear with me uh cam asks who would be your dream opponent but I'm going to split that into two and say, who'd be your dream opponent from the indie scene? Maybe someone you haven't worked with yet, if there's anyone left that you would like to. And mm-hmm. then I suppose from, shall we say, the tippy top of the pro level. So New Japan, WWE, AEW, if you could pick somebody from there. So who would be your two dream opponents from those two separate word- worlds? Okay, so I think tippy tippy top would probably be Reigns because right. it's Reigns. Yeah. And you can do and you can get to do nothing, and that's all fun. Because and he is literally at the moment he is he is the guy, isn't he? If you're the guy in WWE, you're the guy in the industry. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people could make a case that it's still Cena because he's probably still the more recognisable talent. But you know, it's Reigns, isn't it? Mm. He's the he's the top of the world right now, and so anyone who doesn't want to wrestle the top of the world, because right now, like. I'm very much interested like this, the old adage of like, if you want to get better, you need to work with people who are better. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like there's no, there's no other way of looking at it. You've got to, you've got to work with the, the people that are at the tippy top. If you want mm-hmm. to be at the top. Um, 
and in terms of smaller stuff like and it's someone who i've worked with but i've never wrestled uh would probably be charlie sterling because he's just my favorite wrestler who i've yeah. seen like, he's just brilliant he's um say so second coming of mr perfect i think or okay. Dolph. and he's just operating on a different level he's one of those guys who i've said about before who are so good that they're bored <laughs> okay they're just, they're just operating on that like higher like mental plane and like just waiting for some of us to come up so they've got new people to work with mm. like say guys like that joel redman um say yeston's a good example um yeah they just just that that top like top of the mountain kind of people because those are the people you want to work with because those are the people you're going to you're going to learn from okay but hopefully if if they think that you're worth it yeah no i see fair enough i had a feeling you were going to say charlie sterling i know i i highly you you regard him so uh cam also asks a question here um who would be your dream manager but have we sort of covered that i suppose with danny's question with Heyman, or is there anyone else who jumps to mind i don't know you want to do it my dream manager no well yeah first off do you who's your dream manager I, i'd go along with Heyman. I, I look at everything he did with lesnar and and, and reigns now and so on yeah uh, heenan would be very close just because when i was a kid I hated the guy, which means he must have been bloody good at what he did, you know. Oh, so tremendous, he was great. And the thing that Heyman's got, or the thing that Heenan's got over Heyman, is you could properly bump Heenan around. Yes, <laughs> but you can't, you can't really bump Heyman around. He's not built for it. Mm. So he just, he, he, he can't bump. Bless him. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen the tuxedo match with him and Cornette. It's not fun. <laughs> no, I've, yeah, I've seen that. It's not good luck. Um, <laughs> um, but no. Um, said in terms of dream uh, said we've talked about it. you want to manage me say si? that well i don't know about that <laughs> i don't know about that. <laughs> uh um cam also asks here who do you think is the greatest seller of all time uh again that's another one where i'm gonna hide behind my old adage of it depends on your metric mm-hmm. because people sell you know, like ricky morton for example is a great baby face seller who sold for sympathy yeah. Um, but then you've got guys that say like perfect or Ziggler where like people go, Oh, that's over the top, but it's kind of the point, especially as a heel, because you, the last thing you want as a heel is to have people feeling sorry for you. Yes. Like you want a heel to self almost for comedy to be over the top. Cause you, you don't want people feeling sorry for you. And to be fair, if you've done a good job of making people hate you, they probably won't like feel sorry for you, but mm. If you take enough of a paste in, they probably will. I mean, you, we've seen it done. Actually, Ziggler's a good example when they did the double turn with Del Rio. Um, I can't remember the show. I think it was a Battlegrounds, which would have been a long time ago. But it was when Del Rio took the title from Ziggler after he got the concussion. Um, but yeah, they just beat him enough to the point where people started feeling sorry for him. And then double turn occurs. Um, but yeah, so... Let's say Ziggler's a good example. Um, say Flair Hogan, actually, for who he like for the character that he was and for his size, sold very well for Hulk Hogan. Um, Lesnar, actually, I think about like for a guy who basically looks like Doomsday out of Superman, sells very well, and he sells very well for Brock Lesnar, he sells as mm-hmm. much as Brock Lesnar should sell yeah oh yeah 
Sorry, that probably didn't really actually answer the question. No, no. I mean, I think it's very difficult to have a have a conversation whenever anyone says who is the greatest at this. Mm. I think mean, it's incredibly difficult to narrow it down to one name. Incredibly difficult. Yeah, because there's so many like different avenues to go down. Yeah, right? it, it's it's like going who's the greatest boxer, and it's like well, it's Ali, and it's like well, Ali's the greatest because he said he was, and people started you know, listening to it. But you know who's got there's too many things like who's got the best like one punch knockout and it's like that might well be wild or now um but that doesn't mean that he's the greatest but then it's an argument that could be made i think that the question's almost a bit too broad in terms of going who's the, yeah. the best it's like saying who's the best wrestler it's like, uh, that's again i suppose it all comes back to like like you mentioned there about how you don't want the heel to get sympathy from the crowd but the baby face selling you need to you know get that emotion out of people it does all come back to telling the story and getting that reaction from the audience, doesn't it? In my mind, you mentioned Hogan, but my mind, when you said about, about Hogan, goes to Sensational Sherry. Now, she was a young lady, much smaller than Hogan, and Hogan used to beat the piss out of her. Yes. You know, but people hated her so much, and she sold in such a way, and Hogan was obviously so popular as well, that mm-hmm. she didn't end up getting the sympathy. But I think there's been times in, in more recent years where a, a female character on television gets attacked and even if she's supposed to be a heel or she's not very popular that sympathy does come through and i think that i think like you said getting the balance right to get the correct reaction is so important yeah and there's ways of doing it like if you were to bump like in that situation it's not as if hogan ever like got in a full mount and just started like punching her in the yeah. face yeah like he'd do like the big atomic drop and then she'd go out over the top and like it was it was amusing it was funny it wasn't you know it, it didn't look like he was just battering the piss out of them which yeah. incidentally if he'd have done that to heenan it would have got the same response if he'd just just stood over him and just rained fists down eventually he'd be like stop stop he's already dead yeah <laughs> um <laughs> fair uh, point uh, yeah, yeah it's just again it's just doing things in the right way because you can do anything you can do anything but it has to be done in the right context in the right way yeah yeah very true uh last one from cam and i've got i like this this is quite cool do you have any pre-match or pre-show must do's or haves so i suppose maybe superstitions or uh, certain things that you have to have with you i mean i'm i'm, I'm assuming we, we we ignore the fact you need your gear because that goes without saying but well, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know maybe not i mean you can you can definitely uh um, expand on this because i mean like okay so before your match uh number one yeah number two they need to be handled <laughs> um other than that uh for me obviously i need to make sure my blood sugars aren't ridiculously high or low oh yes of course yeah um, so that's uh because yeah if if my blood sugars are in like the the team it's gonna be a shitty and short match so need to make sure that that's not too bad um and that you know you want to have a few spots prepared maybe depending on what you're doing uh you want to have an idea of you know what each other can do or you know wants to do um yeah again like in terms of like you can't be overly prepared for these things mm-hmm. I thought. um you do want your gear <laughs> um but no, in terms of like superstitions, I wouldn't say I have any uh, anything like that. Um, make sure my crown's on straight, I suppose. Yeah, 
you know? <laughs> like so, I mean, that's that's what a, a part of because obviously I did the whole character to try and be larger than life, but the downside of that is it's a lot of lugging gear about. Like, there's a lot yeah. of like heavy stuff that you don't want to get lost. Also, the another thing about pre-match rituals is normally find my crown because there's a good chance someone will have like taken it and put it on their heads and go, oh, the king, which, you know, <laughs> essentially is why I did it, but also fuck off. It's mine. Yeah. Gets passed around the locker room. Does it? everyone have one to go? Try, I try not to let that happen, but you know, <laughs> I've, had, I've had promoters before going, oh, let me take a picture with the crown. It's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, uh, it's, it's, all right, let me pose with your belt then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um king pigs bladders on twitter at pigs bladders uh, a brilliant we we call him the photoshop wizard he makes all the graphics for chain wrestling and the morty and fit show this guy is superb uh, go and make sure you're, you're following him yeah he has uh two questions the first one the wwe performance center at parking lot is undoubtedly one of the most dangerous places in the world if you're a wrestler. <laughs> what advice would you give to any wrestlers out there who may find themselves in this notorious location at some point in the future? I'd, I'd just say run. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's Florida, right? Uh, I guess so. Carry a gun. Just have an AR-15 and you'll be oh, fine. Bloody hell. We don't come down that here. <laughs> hey, no, but in terms of the hypothetical, like, yeah, if you don't want to get attacked, you're in Florida. Have That'd an RP. be a wrestling gimmick and a half, wouldn't it? Eh? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen. But like, you don't want people actually carrying guns to the ring. That would be bad. Nightsticks are bad enough. It's bad enough that people are getting smashed in the head with sledgehammers. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, it is pretty daft. Because um, if, if if for no other reason, again, look at it from like the five year old point of view. Like you see your granddad out there swinging this sledgehammer, like crushing stones, and then you watch like someone bink a sledgehammer off someone's head, and it's like. Is that man not dead now? And they kick out of two. And they kick out of two. Pig Spider continues here. This one's quite good. Uh, Do you ever look at any wrestlers for no particular reason, and for no particular reason, just irrationally hate them? For me, it's Hogan. For Dan Griffin, who's a good friend of ours as well, it's Jeff Jarrett. Do you have any? I think I probably do. Um... I did have to give it some thought. Um, nowadays, it's Jericho. Okay. I, I, like, I can't get behind anything Jericho does anymore. Um, yes, it's great that he's wrestling into his 50s, but he's a smaller guy. Um, it means he has to take the lion's share of the bumps. Uh, I think his body's giving out on him. Mm-hmm. And I also think that he's now, like, using other people to, like, mask that. I, I'll tell you what, we speak about using other people to a degree. Uh, I do notice that whenever anyone has a bit of momentum, they're programmed with Jericho. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a big cornetism recently is the whole like, you know, idea that he's like sucks the life out of younger talent. And I wouldn't necessarily go that far because again, he's definitely uh, got some wisdom to impart but in terms of someone who i just irrationally can't get behind it it's that um who else like again i'm trying to think of like irrationally because i was obviously you feel like you're justified yes. um, <laughs> but in terms of someone who you just 
really just dislike i like i just dislike the look of you i cannot i can't see the good in you yeah. i guess um i guess i struggle with the bucks um just because i feel like a lot of their style is to the detriment of like the longevity of the industry yes completely um, agree because it's the whole you know can you top this mentality and the problem with trying to top things in that way is first off you're not necessarily engaging anyone on an emotional level and also you're breaking yourself mm-hmm. like how knackered are the jacksons now like and i don't know how old they are they're not 40 no um but they're just there's nothing like they're wrestling less and less they can do less physically um and it say it just affects the longevity of the business because people are supposed to be like hitting their prime at around 30. And if folks are like dropping themselves on their head, they've, that means that their primes maybe five years. Yeah. You know? And it's also, you say about hurting the business as well, which is funny enough, the, the name of one of their books, which is kind of tongue in cheek and ironic. I thought that was quite funny, but uh, you look at something like uh, the super kick. They're notorious mm-hmm. now for throwing 25. Uh, I've, I've said about this a million and one times on various other podcasts, but they'll throw 25 super kicks each in a match. Uh-huh. They won't go for a pinfall. They'll pick them up. Or if they do go for a pinfall, it's a two. Yeah. Sean Michaels um, won five world titles with a fucking super kick. He sure did. I mean, you know, I've, I have at least got a kayfabe theory on that. Um, again, I don't think it helps the business because I think if you start taking more tools out of the tool belt and making them less efficient or less effective, like that ultimately is going to hurt. Um, but just the idea that like the older techniques, like that people have come to be familiar with them and therefore train for them. Like, for example, if you're in an industry where you're consistently getting dropped on your head and and more and more, you're getting dropped on your head, you might train your neck a little more. Okay. Yeah. For and and it's a way to explain it away. I don't think it's a way to justify it. No. Um, but you can definitely argue like there's a ways that people can like adjust so that they can better take a super kick, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, but in the same way as, um, again, I, you're not really an MMA guy, but like Chuck Liddell probably wouldn't do too well in modern day UFC because you know, the, the world has moved on. Um, and so you could make the argument that, um, again, I'm entirely playing devil's advocate on this just because it yeah. was something that came up the other day. Uh, because, no, I don't think it's a good idea that, um, you know, people aren't respecting the super kick in the same way as they should respect the DDT. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'm glad you brought that up because if you didn't, I was going <laughs> to. Tyler Peters, our good friend from across the pond. Bloody love Tyler. Uh, he says here, who is your favorite technical wrestler from the UK? Now, I suppose when he says technical, we're looking at maybe more uh, a map based style, potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some good technicians. It's another one of those where it very much depends on your metric because technical is actually a pretty big yes. pretty broad yes. spectrum. Um, obviously, good friend of mine and mentor, David Eaton, very good technical wrestler. Yeah. I love um, watching David. He's, he's fantastic. Very, so smooth as well. Like, it's just such a good, like in terms of just the, the techniques that he's got. And he brings in some of the old Brit pro stuff. Um, and it's, 
one of those where like I can still try and do some of the stuff he does, and it just ain't happening. I, you know, I'm just too much of a klutz. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah. You know when you have it where your brain just like fires out every name that's ever existed, and so you can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I suppose so, you've got you've got to at some level give a shy types to, to the likes of Regal, haven't you? Yes. Regards to you know because his his style is, I suppose, what Tyler would be getting at with regards to the technical phrasing he has used. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Regal's an interesting one because he did start as like an entirely like pure wrestler. And pretty well by the end of his career, you could say he was a character. Um, but he still had that technical aspect. But obviously, you can't really be doing Brit Pro spots with the big show, so you've kind of got to revert yeah. to more punch kick. Um, yeah, the individual like that. I mean, James Mason actually is a great example of okay. a guy who's very good technical wrestler and can still do it. Um, Dave Taylor, actually, another one. Again, these are not people who are particularly recent i mean lots of brit pro stuff lots of brit pro guys johnny saint um because again you watch some of that and it's like yeah you can watch it and watch it and watch and be like i still don't know how he did that and he could show you he could show you how he did that and you're still like i don't know how you do that (laughs) exactly (laughs) uh i suppose going from johnny saint is is a good segue into this one uh we have another one from rob here at utt rob on twitter and he says, essay question. I suppose it's only an essay if you know what you're on about. Um, Les Kellett, discuss. <laughs> yeah, Les Kellett. Um, very, one of those guys who's very unique. Um, absolutely hilarious. Like some of the stuff that he could do, like the comic timing. Um, I question whether or not it would work now. Okay. And, Why is that? Well, mostly because the level of cohesion that there must have been in terms of like everyone that worked with him had to know his stuff because you kind of had his match. Um, The referees knew his shtick. The opponent would have had to know his shtick, um, which again is fine. Um, But imagine if you've never met Les and you've got to work with him. Like there's going to be a lot of stuff that you maybe aren't all that familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've done, I remember, yeah, I did a match with um, James Mason, and he did like this little arm ringer deal. But because it's so light, and I didn't know what it was, like I didn't really register it. And it makes me think how much of that would apply to like Les Kellett. That being said, I've heard Les Kellett is a fucking hard bastard, and so it also says something that like, if you were going to make someone look silly and they are willing to do that, it probably because if they were unwilling to do so, you're going to batter the piss out of them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, 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 didn't he, when he was wrestling, didn't he want, I know we had a job in a, maybe in a factory or something like that for a while, but didn't he also like have a cafe and pigs and stuff? Is that the story? He, Mate, he worked... mean, everyone, everyone had a side hustle back then. Everyone had, Everyone had something going on. I remember, like, Jim Brakes ran a pub. I think, like, maybe the people who were doing it entirely on the back of it was maybe Big Daddy and Kendo Nagasaki. I'm not really the guy to ask. 
because my Brit privilege is wanting at the best of times, and I have not been paying attention or doing any sort of research on wrestling. At all. I mean, this, to be honest, is probably the first wrestling-related conversation that I've had in almost half a year. So, mm-hmm. so I'm I just, I just like the idea of. Uh, obviously, it's different levels, different situations, and so on. But I just like the idea of watching a professional wrestler on on a Saturday afternoon on television, and then you go out for, for I don't know, a bacon sandwich, and it's him <laughs> flipping the bacon in the back of the cafe, and his, his <laughs> wife bringing you the butty. And stuff. I just like that. I, I love that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's nice, and there's kind of an uh, there's an approachability to it without it being like Twitter close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I okay. <laughs> Um. Another one here from the States. We have Connor Knows Soccer at Connor Knows Footy on Twitter. Uh, he says here, for Josh, who has been your favorite wrestler to ever have a match with? Hmm. That one's a bit tricky because it very much depends. Because obviously a lot of it's to do with like how I was feeling yep, as well, okay. because I could have the best match ever but if i felt like it was crap it wouldn't really matter i mean some of the hitman matches were good i remember that there was a match that me and dave had with um rice stevens and chris walker who uh rice stevens is still about i've not heard from chris in a while i think he was writing screenplays last i heard oh wow okay um but yeah that was just a random match that took place in i think bristol but i just remember really enjoying that one um in terms of some of the single stuff, I wrestled uh, a fellow by the name of Alan Lee Travis. Um, I enjoyed that just because, like, the styles meshed. Like, okay. he wasn't he wasn't a guy who wanted to do too much, like, beforehand, like, overly plan everything, and not a massive, like, spots guy. Um, it was very much like the camp show kind of match, which, again, is more sort of, like, catered to my taste. Um, but it was just nice having a bit of back and forth um and so yeah that was enjoyable uh yeah those are the two that like leap to mind um okay. I, I mean some of the matches that i've had with people and it was their first match that was very enjoyable because you get that sense of satisfaction because like not only am, am i the architect of it but also i feel as if i'm entirely in control of it right um and that can be quite good from my point of view because not having the control of the situation can be somewhat daunting and scary. And I feel a bit like there are times when like, it's almost like when you're driving and something goes wrong. And so you like try and turn the wheel furiously or something and you try and overcorrect okay. it and, yeah. and, and wind up making it worse. Um, whereas if you're the guy in control, you're like, like everything's okay. I'm running yeah. the, I'm steering this ship. I'm the captain now. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, just set your mind. I've had some, a couple of matches. Um, say a few EVM matches, like the the YouTube stuff, and some of those were quite fun. Um, if for no other reason, because you know, I got to pretend that it was 1979 and it was like the old WWF taping, so I just got to beat the snot out of some poor sod. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. always fun. You know, I, I've seen quite a few of those. That I enjoy those. Normally, I'm on the receiving end. Yes, yeah, some of them were like. Uh, so there was a period of time when I was wearing a mask. Yep. Uh, I was trying to do some I call, stuff. I called those matches, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, they were hideous. Like, if... So, you know, I was, I'm talking about, obviously, being... Sick. I think, like, 
I was on the downhill slide by then. Like, I think I was physically getting worse. Like there was stuff going on there. Um, so physically, like I had no wind, no cardio. I was getting fat. Jesus, I was fat. There's only so much a tan can do for you. Um, (laughs) and I remember, um, thinking it was a good idea to do a cross body off the top on like, and have, and miss the guy. The thing was, I was wearing this mask and I could not see at all. So I like got like this half a sliver of light, like coming out of one eyeball. And I'm like, this could end badly. <laughs> I hope he's moved to that kind of, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it was one of those where it's like, and I, I obviously I'm really harsh critic of it, but I'm like, I'm ready to go and I'm not sure he moves. So I like hesitate. Yeah. And like, I watch that stuff back. And I'm like, Oh, it's just the worst. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Looking yeah. back on it, it's a fun story, if nothing else. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there were, uh, some, good, there were some good stories from that. And like, I remember the last time we were going to do a taping, um, we got there, did like two matches, and the ring broke, which is ah, fun. You sent me a picture, <laughs> didn't you? Because I was waiting for the, I believe I was waiting for the video to arrive at mine. Because this, this was this during COVID. No, it wasn't during COVID. It was just um, coming at the back end, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because it would have been only last year. Mm. okay yeah yeah and i remember yeah. i was waiting for the video to be sent to me because i wanted me to add the commentary on it afterwards to go up on youtube mm-hmm. and uh you sent me just a picture of a broken ring <laughs> and i was like right <laughs> yeah and it, it was somehow broken like one of the welds <laughs> and it was like oh that's a good trick yeah um i think there was a whole another match that went on where it's like it's like this ring's not right and it's like no that's because it's being held together with imagination <laughs> and, and cable toys yeah. <laughs> bit of gaffer tape's good to go yeah, um, <laughs> uh connor also asks uh this is interesting i don't know the answer to this have you done any death matches or no holds barred contests now, i'm assuming death matches are like the way end of the extreme scale which mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't imagine would be your, your your forte but correct me if i'm wrong of course but no holds barred no dq that kind of thing have you done anything like that i've done um so I'm going to be pedantic first off. Okay. Um, I don't like death matches because it's doing that kind of stuff for the sake of doing it. Like, if the context is right, if the, if the situation is right, then absolutely. Like I will do anything if it, if it makes sense, but I yeah, do okay. feel like the death match stuff is just doing it for the sake of, Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can put it in a situation where it makes sense, like for example, I had a program with um, a fella called Jay Sky. It was either Sky or Skies. I can never remember. Anyway, um, the whole thing basically centered around me battering him with a chair. And so the blow off to the feud was like that we had a chair. And so, like, that's probably as close as I've come to like doing no DQ because, well, that didn't have any DQ because we were hitting each other with a chair. But that comes um, back to story again though, doesn't it? That comes it back does, to the yeah. story. And, and obviously there's, there's work put in before the end product. There's work put into the story to build up to the, this final blow off for, for this particular match and this stipulation, isn't it? Well, exactly. And I mean, like uh, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, like the first time they did something that culminated in hell in the cell. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a progression to that because the first match they had was just a match. And then I think they maybe went straight to hell in a cell there, or there might've been something else. But the point was like it, it escalated because the first match was inconclusive because it got thrown out. 
So it therefore makes sense that they have a match that has no disqualifications. Yeah. I feel like if you're just having a match that is no disqualifications because we want a no DQ match on the card, it's... Yeah. Well, you mentioned Hell in the Cell there. That's a perfect example because I, I believe they're coming away from it now. Now that Triple mm-hmm. H has more control, or you, you read things online on how true they are or not, of course. But mm-hmm. for quite a while, a big issue I had was that you would have the Hell in the Cell pay per view, which I believe was October time, maybe. Mm-hmm. And you crowbar these matches into needing the cell because the pay per view was Hell in a Cell. And yeah. it took away from it. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. It's the whole. Um it's a match that needs a cage as opposed to a cage that needs a match. Yeah. You know, and, exactly. and it should, and it should always be, in my opinion, it should always be that the match needs the stipulations as opposed to you've decided upon a stipulation. And now you need to like reverse engineer a match around it. Unless of course, I mean, reverse engineering it, like in terms of thinking, okay, so here's our destination. Here's how we're going to get there is fine. In fact, that's probably the way it should be done, but mm-hmm. just doing something for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Nah, not, not so much for me. Um, yeah. that being said, yeah, I'd gladly throw myself at thumbtacks and barbed wire. I'd probably avoid the, uh, light tubes, but Hey, everyone's got a price. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, uh, pig splatters again here. He says, I-, I like this. This tickled me when I read it. Uh, big van Vader was notorious for having odor problems at certain points in his career. Have you ever had to face a wrestler who was affected by the same problem? And how did you deal with it? So I guess Pig Splatters is asking, have you ever had to tie up with someone who was a bit whiffy? We don't have to name names. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's been known. It's certainly been known. Um, I guess when you're in like the actual moment, and you're actually like into wrestling, that's not so bad because you've got other things to think about right. at the same time, like being in a chin lock and you've got like, you can just stink them. And it's like, this is manky. I'm going to get out of this chin lock. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Just try and get through it as best you can. Um, they might Would you mention it afterwards or is it, is it something I, that you wouldn't bring Is it embarrassing for the other person or how, how would you approach that? Cause I, me personally, obviously it's a different scenario, but I've worked with people in really hot, sweaty factories, uh-huh. you know, like proper little sweat pits where the machines are churning out 200 degrees because they're heating up certain plastic and that's all nonsense. Yeah. And certain people you couldn't walk over and I was doing quality control. I would dread walking over to their section to check their stuff because I knew it would stink. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt awkward, even though I was the one struggling, I felt awkward saying something because of the whole embarrassment factor for the other person and then me bringing it up. So how would you, how would you deal with that? Would you take the guy to one side or would you just leave it or speak to the promoter? Is there, is, is there a way of dealing with it properly? I don't know. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule because there's no proper way of dealing with anything in pro wrestling because it's still essentially the wild west. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you drop hints and, or you can just, it depends on who it is. Like some people you just be like, yeah, no, mate, you need to, you know, when was the last time you washed your gear? That's manky. Yeah. You smell. <laughs> um, but then as, as someone who heavily perspires himself, it's something that I'm keenly aware of, um, mm-hmm. mindful of, and I have never had any complaints. And so it's clearly doable. Yeah. You just have to like, you know, not be smelly. Um, yeah I, I can't remember who told the story it was on the podcast i listened to. it might have been eric bischoff and he uh-huh. was talking about seeing on anderson backstage 
in in WCW it was called the go position, wasn't it? But the gorilla position yeah. is kind of the term that people use now. Mm-hmm. And he was putting aftershave on and stuff before just before going out to his match. And when he mm-hmm. spoke to Arn afterwards, he was like, You don't want to be smelly for your opponent. And it's mm-hmm. the, to me, that's the most Arn Anderson, not body spray, not deodorant or anything like that. Putting aftershave on to me is the most Arn Anderson thing I can imagine. <laughs> and I guarantee Arn Anderson smell of brute or old spice. One of those yeah. kind of, that's exactly how I imagine Arn to smell. I remember you've reminded me of, I think I've probably told this story before, but it was when I, back when I was emceeing and I got Rampage Brown's like weight wrong. Okay. Uh, and so he like got right in my face, like grabbed me by the jacket and all I could smell was old spice. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. It's, it's things like that. It's also, you know, you want to brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. before you go out you know things like that it's just a bit of common courtesy because yeah. what we do is very physical you're more intimate with some of these people than you would have been some of your girlfriends or boyfriends which <laughs> you know but yeah. you are you're getting in each other's business so it's it's nice that you don't smell that you you've taken care of yourself to the best of your ability mm. yeah that's fair enough uh, and finally, we have one here from at Real Chris Bellis on Twitter. He said, "Well, it's a two-part question. Um, first of all, I suppose uh, I'll go with the second part. First of all, he asks, have you acknowledged your tribal chief today? I do not acknowledge my tribal chief. He's not my Fair tribal enough. chief. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that always for no man Sorry. always always working always working trying to set, hoping that roman listens to this and we can build a story from it oh um, no, <laughs> is, hey if he's gonna slum it with logan paul like jeez <laughs> there we go he'd have to come to gloucester though wouldn't he you know save you travel. yeah i'm not, I'm not i don't drive so he's gonna have to come to me yeah fair <laughs> as he should and um, <laughs> and finally which of the bgs does joshua think he can take in a fight Oh, the dead ones. Yeah, Obviously. I think they'd be easy. They're already let down. Yeah. <laughs> might, might struggle to make them tap out, but like, yeah. We had a message as well saying uh, Maurice looked deceptively strong, apparently, but I'm not sure that'd be an issue. Well, no, not now. No. Dead, isn't it? Yeah. That's easy. It. There we go, mate. Um, so that is it. We've come to the end of the stuff we've had in from people listening. I want to say thank you to everybody, as always, for tweeting into any podcast this network carries. It's always hugely appreciated. And thank you so much for reaching out to this special uh, Out the Blue bonus edition of NXT Rise and Fall. Uh, before we go, Joshua, is there anything you want to add before we depart? Um, don't think so, really. So I guess um, I'd like to be able to tell you, you know, rise and fall will be back i can't tell you when because it's yep. still you know it's still a ways away and there's one thing for us to be able to do this q a but as i said like for me and you've always gotten on me for this but like the nxt right it's a lot of work for me because i will watch that stuff in minute detail it's the one thing that i think because i come at it from a different angle and i need to be a bit more analytical with it um, so it does mean that I want to get like into the, like the, the real granular stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that it's, it's a fair bit more work and it's probably not something I'm going to be up to for a minute. Yeah, yeah um, of course. No problem. But you know, it definitely, you know, it will, it will be back. It will be back. This is not only the rise and fall of NXT it is currently the fall and rise of King Goodwin. There so. we go, mate. Love it. 
love it yeah. uh, uh if you are interested and wish to be you know interact with the king himself you can find him on twitter at king goodwin pw this show itself you can follow as well on uh on twitter at nxt underscore rise and four and obviously the network that carries this show at sjp world media on all your podcast players platforms and providers and there's always new shows being added new stuff going on uh, we've got shows coming out soon we've got new shows debut this week covering all sorts of topics from the book world to the simpsons to tv to nostalgia wrestling to uh, modern day wrestling new live shows debuting as well all over the place and something sport orientated that people used to enjoy back in the day is returning but returning on our network i can't dive into it any more than that because the host wants to spill the beans himself but it's coming very very soon so that's that, yes is that's it roller derby <laughs> roller dart yep that's it we had a show once covering that <laughs> uh so yes there you go at the Pete world media i've had an absolute blast mate i've had an absolute I mean, blast it's been an absolute it. joy and an honor to be able to sit down with you again um it's it's fantastic being able to talk to you for the first time in quite a while thank you so so much for taking the time to do this and i look forward to again sometimes sitting down and chatting this crazy world with you again my friend oh yeah i mean we will say we'll have to actually watch an episode of nxt i suppose yeah <laughs> <laughs> there we go uh, thank you again josh and to everyone else as always thank you for listening Uh, you can find this show at NXT Rise and Four, I think. Hang on. I'll edit this bit out because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew it. I knew there was an underscore in there somewhere. No bad. Okay, I'll do that again. <laughs>